Okay, uh, twelve forty-nine, and I got to open up thirteen because we'll move right into that. Because Frank tried to get us to finish that, and I said, "No, Frank, we're gonna finish." Yeah, step behind me, Frank. Forty-nine. Uh, Jesus is in the middle of a teaching. Are we recording? Yeah. Yeah, she is. Oh, what I should be doing is running this thing. Like I pay attention to it. It's, it's just an exercise in futility. Um, he's having a teaching, a very important teaching, and uh, his family shows up. His physical family shows up. And uh, they get word to him, hey, we'd like to, we need to talk to him. And he's in the middle of a sermon, you know, and uh, this is his response. And I'll go back up to, we have to go to 48. Uh, Jesus answered the one who was telling him and said, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And I'm sure this poor dude just went, what? You know, think about it. You're, you, you're, the mother of the son of God tells you to take a message. You take it and he says this to you. You go, uh, <laughs> I'm hoping that's a rhetorical question because <laughs> if you're expecting an answer from me, I'm here to get answers from you. I mean, I always love this. That I just see this. And he goes, Jesus turns to him and says, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? And he goes, <laughs> just, oh man, <laughs> I told you, Bob, to ask the question. <laughs> you know, and so <laughs> they're all laughing. <laughs> you know? And he goes, but he doesn't leave poor Bob like that. You know, he stretched out his hand towards his disciples. This is okay. People are hearing this. This isn't a private conversation. I mean, the sermon, the message has been stopped. And so he takes this time to stop and address it. And he's towards his disciples to behold my mother and my brothers. Uh, here Jesus points to you. And this is the important part. You are a true family to Jesus. His bond with you is as deep as it is to Mary. This is your deep value in the midst of all creation. Those who chose him, he holds near and dear to him. Um, if you guys were at church Sunday and when my last my Monday Thursday message I am astounded by that uh, verse that says he rejoices over you and it just so many times when I imagine God when I see God in my mind you know it's oh, on a throne and lightning and thunder and you know and it, it just sheer joy over you you know um and it starts with, he's a mighty warrior who's never been defeated. Then it says, which is what's in my head. And then it says, yeah, that's all true. But man, does he love you. He just adores you. He wants to just fellowship with you. It rejoices over you. What well, says his in quiet love. I, I just, yeah. But this is the point he's making. And by the way, uh, as always with our Catholic brethren, uh, the reason they pray to Mary is they believe that Mary has a special insight. You know, I've heard it explained to me by a priest who said, you know, well, it's his mother. She's gonna, he's going to listen to his mother. Remember, he turned the water into wine because, so you, you like circumvent what should be to get what you want. And I'm not saying that's all of them. It's just human nature, is it or not? And he says, Jesus here is just wiping that off the, the plate. It's just, it's not there. Uh, in verse 50, he said, For whoever does, and man, this is important, whoever does the will of my Father who is in heaven, 
is my brother, sister, and mother. Uh, whoever does what obeys him. Every once in a while in our message to grace, and I do believe I put it in the mission statement, obedience is in there uh, for that particular reason. We want to create a theology where obedience is optional, where obedience is something that uh, when I want to, who are these people? When he points and says, who are my brother, brothers and sisters? Who, who is it that are so close to me? The people who obey me. What did Christ say? Obedience is linked directly to love. If you don't understand that God loves you, you won't obey him. And if you don't love him, you won't obey him. If you don't, you won't have faith. Faith is, is just catapulted by love. If you do not understand that God loves you, you will not have faith in God. Because the faith that we have is that God loves me. And if he loves me, whatever he has for me is the right thing. Or the best thing. If you love me... Go ahead. There's... Um in the Old Testament and one place where it's talked about is regarding Saul the king and saying I would prefer obedience over sacrifice. Samuel, right? Samuel. Yeah, so, is Samuel. that the mooing of cows I hear? Yeah. Yeah. We told him kill all the kill everything and he goes, Why am I hearing cows mooing? Well, I did it for God. <laughs> You know, right, right. and that's not obedience, is it? Right. Yeah. And um, well, and you know, and that's what made David David. David loved the Lord. David was a screw up. He was a sinner like all of us. The more power a human being gets, the more clear the picture in the mirror is. The more horrible things you will see yourself do, uh, because you can do them. And David was a king with absolute authority. And he did them. Uh, I, I can surely judge the wrong he did, but I can't judge him against myself. Uh, this is why we pray, lead me not into temptation, because there is temptation that will just crush you. It will, destroy, it will own you. And you're saying, God, protect. what you're saying is protect me from me. And God's saying, you yeah, know, okay, I'll do that. Jesus is telling us to ask God to do that, you know. And it, it's just kind of cool. And that's the difference between David and why he, why he refused to kill Saul. Ultimately, because he loved and trusted God. It's not that I have a problem with killing Saul. I won't kill God's anointed. God can surely take care of that if he wants it done. I don't need to do that for him. If you love me, you will obey me. Obedience to his word is the proof of love. Fear is not enough to produce obedience. It's just not. I, man, I'll, I can't claim it for everybody, but in my life, fear is not enough to make me obey. It may work when I see something bad happen to someone who did something that I did, that, you know, whatever, you know, did something stupid that I did stupid and they paid a price. You go, oh boy, I'm not going to do that again. Three months later, you're doing it. Temporary. Yeah, yeah, because I'm afraid right now. Right. That passes. Love is so strong. Love is the only thing that will bring you to the obedience of God. And love is the proof. I mean, obedience is the proof of love, and love is the proof of obedience, yeah. Only love is strong enough to overcome our pride and our love for ourselves. Love for God is the only thing that will overcome your love for yourself. Uh, we love because he first loved us. Let's never forget that. Only the love of God can overcome the love of self. 
John 14, 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Every time I read this, I think about seminary, and I want to go all over it again. But anyway, where they told me it was uh, incorrect to use the word obedience. John 14, 23 through 24, a little bit later in John, Jesus answered said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him. If you love me, you will keep my word. What is that? That is obedience. Uh, and he said, and my father will love him, and we will come to him and make our abode with him. God just being with you, in you, around you. But he who does not love me does not keep my word, and the word which you hear is not mine, but the father who sent me. Uh, love is not only covers a multitude of sin, Love keeps us from a multitude of sin. And that's just as important. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Love of the Lord is the completion of it. It is just that simple. We have a world that grew up on fear of the Lord and they never got to understand the love of the Lord. And we just finished a chapter. Let's take a moment and drink it in. Okay, 13. In this chapter, Jesus makes a shift in ministry from going to synagogues, which is what he's been doing up north, to teaching outside and in the community. He's taking it uh, to drum circles. He's, he's Keithized it. He also begins a heavy use of parables. <laughs> yeah. I, I can't help it, even when he's not here. You ought to see what I said do to him. When we're, uh, it's, it's beautiful. Some of them are just plain beautiful. Uh, I'm so proud of myself. I insult him so well that it's just, I have to sit back and go, it's a gift from you. <laughs> and then I watch out for lightning. Um, this is a conscious beginning of the use of parables. I mean, there's some scattered things here and there, but now it's, it's parable time. And this coincides with him not going to the synagogues as much, but staying outside, talking to the people in a more, we will say in the grandeur of creation, he is now speaking in parables. Metaphors usually told to drive home one basic point. Usually. There's usually one point back there that needs to be made. In verse 13, Jesus explained why he began using parables. Fortunately, he starts using them. Then he explains, they ask, hey, why are you using parables? And he tells them. Uh, so disciples must have noticed the increase in their usage. Like, what's going on? Something changed. No record of any disciples ever using them that I could find. I can't think it right of anything that Paul wrote that metaphors, yeah, uh, similes, uh, allegories, okay, but not what I would call a parable that, you know, set aside to be a parable. Uh, Jesus also began to spend more time on preparing his disciples for what is coming. So we're getting close, and you'll see it from now on. He will just... Sprinkle it in there. Hey, I'm going to die. Yeah, I'm going to die. You know, and bad things are going to happen. I'm not going to be here. He tells them exactly what's going to happen at some point. They're going to capture me. They're going to kill me. And in three days, I'm going to rise from the dead. And they go, <laughs> you know. Well, it's like I said, even at the Last Supper, he tells them that. They're going to kill me. And then John and James go, yeah, okay. Hey, can we be next to you? <laughs> can we sit on the thrones next to you? And Jesus is like, oh, man. <laughs> Didn't you just hear me say, I'm going to die a horrible death, and this is what you want to say to me? <laughs> Can we sit next to you? Can we rule in heaven with you? Come on, dudes. You know, but it's us. 
John and James. These are the two that want to call on fire. Remember who John is, who he ends up being. Boy, if you want to, if there's a message to be preached somewhere, sanctification and John, some of the things he didn't said, and then the things he wrote in the end, you know, first, second, third, John, uh, just beautiful stuff that he's a different person. His heart's different. You know, you could see it. Um, that day, Jesus went out of the house and was sitting by the sea. Uh, out, this is still up north. But there's only, when you hear sea, there's, it's the Sea of Galilee. I mean, it, yeah, there's not like the Sea of Bob or anything like that. Um, Jesus went out to the house and was sitting by the sea. We're up somewhere near Capernaum, but we're out of Capernaum, uh, you know, uh, out in the country. There's a cove along the shore there that's called the Sower's Cove. Well, the reason they call it the Sower's Cove is because they believe this parable was given there, which is kind of neat. I, I'm not sure it's true, but it, it made, at least people were thinking about it. And apparently this is sort of set up like an amphitheater. This cove is sort of around this way. And if you go out in a boat, there's like... You, you ever, see, we never think about this. You know, 5,000 people he fed... He preached to 5,000 people, and they heard him. I'm lucky if like, I can get, keep like 25 people to hear me or awake. But it's quite impressive. And I never think about the logistics, you know. But apparently, any time there was public discourse, people already knew the spots where it worked. You know, if you want to talk to a lot of people, you got to go there. So um, Jesus goes there. He sits down. And waits. That's all he has to do. He just goes outside, leaves the house, goes sits next to the lake, and just sits there. And then, of course, a large crowd gathered to him. So he got into a boat and sat down, and the whole crowd was standing on the beach. So all he has to do is go out and sit down. And, you know, it's a self-made... Uh, wherever he goes, there's a congregation. Uh, being heard by a large crowd uh, must have been challenging, and he deals with it, so he goes out in a boat. Doesn't it make sense? Uh, I'm sure there are people who waited out halfway to get closer. Uh, and he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, the sower went out to sow. Now, we've heard this enough times that we have an understanding of it, but it's not really in our ballpark. I mean, this is the steel city. <laughs> this isn't Amish land, you know what I mean? But we have a pretty good understanding of how this all works. I mean, um, this parable, by the way, this is kind of neat because this parable is spoken. Then he speaks a bunch. Of, then he talks about parables in general, and he speaks some other parables. Then he explains this, like he says it. A bunch of other stuff happens. Then he's alone with his guys, and he goes, "Come here, I'm going to explain that one." There, I said, "Which one? <laughs> that one up there, the one about the seed and the sower." Uh, this parable explains uh, explained by Jesus in verse 18 through 23. He uses as many verses explaining it as he does giving it. Uh, everyone who heard this parable understood its references to agriculture, which always is throughout Scripture. The gospel is what is sown by the Spirit of God. There is no difference in what is sown or how it is sown. The message is the same to all. It's the same seed. It's not like a better seed was thrown here or a better seed was thrown or somebody different threw it, you know, that, you know. It wasn't the fault of anything other than the soil. The outcome was determined by the soil, not any other factor. The difference is in the one who hears the soil. Who hears it? 
the soil. There is no lack in the seed. The issues are with the ground. Notable that the sower went out to sow. He acted first. The ground didn't call out, okay, give us some seed. We need this. We need that. No, he knew what was needed. He acted first. The message came to man. Man did not come seeking the message. God seeks us out. Luke 9.10, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. You know, I, that's as plain as it can be. Here's why I came, to save people. John 4.23, but an hour is coming and now is when true worship, worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people, the Father seeks to be his worshipers. Verse 4. And as he sowed, some seed fell beside the road, and the birds came and ate them up. The place where many people traveled, the fields were not fenced off like here. There were paths through the fields. The ground was pressed on hard because people, carts, animals had walked on it. I mean, there was no hard top, but it was basically the same. Those soil was not just plowed or prepared for planting. It was harder than most of the soil due to traffic. Oh, so what we're saying is all the field would have been plowed up, but this traditional pathway through a, a right away that has always been known, it's just easier to just do the whole thing than it is to stop, pick the plow up, go over it. But so many people walk on it, it just becomes hard. I mean, you, and if you know anything about farming, the ground has to be turned. Now, there's new farming now where they implant. They don't turn the ground. Uh, I forget what that's called. But anyway, it has nothing to do with it. But it has to be turned over because unless a seed gets down in, it won't grow. It'll just sit there. And if it sits there, it's vulnerable. I have a spot in the back of my yard where I feed the birds and I feed the deer. <clears throat> The deer come through so often and so many times, they tear up the ground. So what I do, and nothing grows there because it's literally been tore up by deer hoofs. So what I do is I throw out bird seed. Now there's no cover, it's just bare ground. I throw out bird seed, the next day I look out there and there's like 40 doves out there eating my bird seed. It's an exercise in futility. The seed's not protected. The seed is just sitting there saying to the birds, come eat me. There's nothing stopping. Technically, what you're supposed to do is throw straw over top of it to stop the birds. But uh, it was almost too much trouble. I didn't care that much, so the birds get it. So every year, I throw the bird seed out. The birds eat it, and nothing grows. Now I'll do it again this year. Um, verse 5. Others fell in the rocky place where they did not have much soil. Immediately, they sprang up because they had no depth of soil. Uh... Plants do not grow well. Crops do not grow well in rocks. Um, if you go to any place that's rocky, that farms, what you will see, uh, you'll see this a lot. Did you ever watch All Creatures Great and Small? On uh, That's really worth watching on PBS. And it's like in Wales. Uh, you know, it's in like World War II times. All their fields are framed in by what? Walls made of rocks. <laughs> they don't have fences. There's so many rocks to make a field to plant something, you build a wall out of them. I mean, miles of walls of rocks stacked that high. Thanks, Yes. Well, yeah. Basically, they even put weeds in or stack rocks. The rocks will be this high, that wide, because they got so many rocks you can't grow anything. 
So they kill a bird, two birds with one stone. They make a wall, a fence, and they make solid ground. Not so much a place where there was rocks mixed with the soil, but a place where there was little soil before you hit rocks. No depth for the roots to anchor to. Uh, a thin layer of topsoil over... Uh, up our cabin at the Yawk, there was what we called the big rock. It sat up into the woods about 40, 50 yards up, and it was this giant rock that stepped up out of the, it just out of the ground. And when you were a kid, it was like amazing. And it had a moss path that went around it. And the only thing that grew on it was that moss. Nothing else could grow on it. Just the little things would try and then they would die because there was nothing to anchor to. Um, verse 6, but when the sun had risen, they were scorched. And because they had no roots, they withered away. The reason there's no roots is because there was little soil. And with no roots, what can't you get? Water. And, you know, what did Jesus say? You know, you were drinks of me, you will never be thirsty again. Others fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked them up. Notice, the thorns are already there. The thorns didn't show up after it was done. That comes in another one, the, the tares and the wheat. This is the same problem a different way. It, just point that out. Remember, it, it, this, this one falls where there's thorns. The other ones, the thorns grow up in between them. Uh, came up and choked them out. The thorns are already there. They did not fall on the seed. The seed fell on them. The influence of the flesh stifled the seed. And others fell on the good soil and yielded a crop. Some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. Thirty is amazing. So, you know, if you have these other ones and you put an equal amount of seed on, let's say you have these four fields and you put the same amount of seed on these four fields. The one that grows overwhelms the ones that don't. Even 30 times, you know, all you have to do to be equal is come up to be four times. This is 30 times more, overwhelmingly more. But it doesn't, it says 60, 100 times more. Like, basically, what it's saying is you can't even imagine how productive it is when it hits the right thing. And what I'm telling you is that's you. This is you. You're the good soil. And the productivity, whether you see it or not, whether you feel it or not, doesn't matter. It does. It produces. It just does. Not because it wills itself to produce, but because it was planted to produce where it should be planted, the way it should be planted. The seed did the job. It, you don't. It does. The four types of people who hear the gospel, only one group is ready to receive it and grow from it, but that one quarter produces abundantly. Then he says, he who has ears, let him hear. Anytime you read that, stop, pay attention, and think about what was just said. Uh, the Morris Leon uh, commentary on Matthew. Matthew repeats these words in 11.15 and 13.43. He who has ears, let him hear. Um, and there are similar expressions in Mark and Luke. The command reoccurs in each of the letters to the seven churches in Revelations. In the Synoptic Gospel, the words are always on the lips of Jesus and in Revelation on those of the Ascended Lord. The thought in all these passages is that the physical act of hearing is not sufficient. It is more important to take in what is heard, to comprehend it, and to assimilate it. In other words, don't just listen and move on. Stop. Let it sink in. 
Let it affect you. Let it change you. Let it change your life. So we're going to hear this again. We've already heard it a couple times, and it's throughout Scripture. So that's what I'm saying. Anytime you, Jesus says, let him who has ears hear, what he's saying is, wait a minute. Don't wait for the next thing I'm about to say. Think about this. You know, I put it into a parable. I'm going to explain it later, but I want you to give this some thought. This matters. So we'll go from there. Uh, the disciples came to him and said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? Uh, 10 through 17, Jesus speaks to why he uses parables. There is no record of anyone else in the New Testament using them to teach us it. Old Testament prophets use them. Nathan used one with David, and David did not know it was about him. Remember that one? And he stole the little lamb from the only little lamb that the guy had. And boy, uh, to me, boy, every time I get chills. That is one of the most profound scriptures. It's It speaks to me and my life. It's just so profound. You know, this that guy, he, that rich farmer stole this one little lamb that this guy loved. And David gets all mad. You know, that guy's going to pay twice as much. And Nathan says, it's you. And I always see that finger pointing at me. Because, you know, I'm judging people left and right, you know. And God's saying, Jeff. You know, the disciples asked why Jesus spoke to the crowd in parables. Note that Jesus does not explain this parable to the crowd. He explains it to the disciples. We'll leave off there. I think that's a good place. We've had a long evening here. Um, you know, when you were saying about whoever has ears, let them hear. And they did wonder if the crop they were talking about was corn. <laughs> I'm glad you're here. I think he's rubbing off. <laughs> Verse 11, right? 13, 11, I mean, yeah, 13, 11. I think that's where I left off. Look at us tearing through stuff. This is that influence you have, the corny jokes. <laughs> no pun intended. No there. pun intended. Right. Oh, you, you couldn't oh, wait to get that in. Yeah. <laughs> don't, don't Putting them in the bylaws. Ba-dum-bum. <laughs> no. Chuckles must be at least five seconds long. <laughs> there must be laughter. <laughs> Away with you, sinner. <laughs> Excommunication for not laughing at my joke. <laughs> I think Sandy wins that round. Yeah, I think so too. Well, let's pray. Father, we come before you as always so thankful for your word. Uh, Lord, we treasure it and you treasure us so it should all work out. Just let your word find a home deep in our hearts. Lord, let us have the ears and let us hear and let it change us so that we could be some help to this poor, sad world instead of part of the problem. Watch over my brothers and sisters. Make them strong, wise, brave, and compassionate and help them to glorify your name and what they think, what they do, and what they say. In Jesus' name, amen.